men's mental health matters. Live life with an outback mind. Thanks so much for joining in, guys. Episode 212 today with Mr. Marcus Pierce. Uh, Marcus may not be known to many of you, but uh, he's very well known in the well-being space. Uh, also uh, an excellent reporter. Uh, worked in football media for quite a while. Um, I worked on the footy show uh, and uh, was really well regarded in that space, but really... Um, woke up and basically understood after a while that well-being was his calling to be able to help other people uh, to live healthfully, functionally well uh, to long ages. And he's got an amazing business um, and also a great podcast called 100 Not Out. It's all about longevity. So we're going to learn today about longevity, what it is that we need to do as men and as humans to be able to live uh, well into our older ages and to be able to thrive into our older ages not end up in a nursing home and uh, dependent. So I believe that is my gift and Marcus's gift to be able to help share this sort of stuff with the world because uh, we're not here to struggle, we're here to thrive at the end of the day and we need to make sure we're doing that and living to our full potential and our capacity. So I hope you uh, really enjoy this chat encourage you to share it with others. If you'd like to help us out, please you're so grateful for a donation. Uh, please jump on the website, outbackmind.org.au. Check out what we do. If we can help you out in your community, it'd be great to be able to get out and do some work. If you could do a fundraiser for us, that would be awesome. Really appreciate any support you could give us. So outbackmind.org.au. If you'd like to send me some feedback on the podcast, I'd really appreciate that too. Support at outbackmind.org.au. Marcus, how are you, mate? Aaron, I'm fabulous. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, I... I'm going to uh, be interesting um, to see who's got the best voice for radio out of you and I. I reckon you are, you are one of the best. <laughs> You're very kind, but my radio experience is, uh, as a producer, I was very rarely there with a microphone in my hand, but, but now that people know that I was in the media, quote, unquote, I do get you've got a good voice for radio, and I'm like, oh, that's a nice compliment, but um, I was always the one that was charged with making the host sound good not look good, but sound like they knew what they were talking about, which is every great producer's job out there. Mm, I, I've heard you on the radio on that back in Victoria years ago, you know, yes. uh, from, at, at various stages, and uh, and the voice, um, you know, definitely resonates. And, uh, mate, it'd be interesting to sort of hear a bit about your background and how you actually ended up um, coming through the ranks as a young fella and into, I suppose, journalism and into that media uh, realm. Yeah, sure. I think uh, like a lot of, you know, I grew up in suburban Melbourne and you know, went to the football, you know, almost every weekend following the D's with my, uh, with my dad and my sisters, <laughs> realised pretty quickly that I was never going to be the next Gary Lyon or Alan Jakovic um, <laughs> yeah. and thought the next best thing would be to work in the media. It seemed like the second best gig in football. Um, and I always grew up, I suppose, idolising, you know, Bruce McAvaney, um, and then I suppose after that, Eddie Maguire, and I thought, oh, if I could work with, you know, Bruce already, and that would be kind of a pinnacle experience. So um, luckily got into journalism at RMIT, which was back then it was like, it felt like anyway, the only course in journalism, whereas now uh, it feels like there's dozens of them. But that was that was the big one. Um, worked in, in sport, worked in uh, local papers covering local football, Diamond Valley and Essendon District League for those in Victoria, yeah. um, and then worked in Breakfast Radio with uh, Kevin Bartlett, Gary Honey, and then um, SEN. When SEN was brand new, I was there when it was its, in its very first year as the producer of the the Run Home, and then um, and then after that, well, it was almost a sinking ship after twelve months, but thankfully it got rescued. Mm-hmm. But I moved to the I moved to Channel Nine and the Footy Show back in that was literally two thousand and five. Um, uh, but then I, I've got a bit sick of straight hamstrings, Aaron. Got a bit sick of uh, torn ACLs, and there were a few few big issues back then, which kind of questioned, you know, my role as a journalist and 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 how much, you know, I love football, but I think I'd lost the um, the fan the fan love. Everything was a story. You were watching the show. You were watching every game to pick out stories and what would you talk about and the rest of it. And and as much as I, you know, loved it, a part of me loves being a fan more than someone covering the game. Um, I just love the fan experience and without the pressure of working out how you're going to turn it into content. 
Yes, yeah, mate. No, that's true, yeah, because uh, as little boys, we sort of get uh, entrapped in uh, in the, the culture and all that sort of behind it. But, um, uh, you know, when you're actually in the soup of it all, it actually becomes, you know, you've got to think more about what you're doing. And, um, you know, the, I suppose the enjoyment of it all actually starts to, um, uh, you know, fade away. It's interesting you talk about Gary Lyon and... Um, uh, and Jacko and that, but uh, Gary Lyon, you know, is from Kyabram, a really salt of the earth, um, you know, young fella, uh, and obviously he got swept up in the footy culture and spread out the other end into the media, and, um, you know, some real serious consequences came for that individual, which I've, I've got a lot of compassion for, but it just goes to show that you can get, um, you know, caught up in, in the hype of it all and actually lose connection with, um, you know, who you really are. It's a, it is an interesting, it's a, it's a, it's a great dinner party conversation. Um, the whole conversation around AFL football and its and its impact. I was saying to you or someone else the other day in a conversation that um, there's some incredible opportunities in well, just even Australian sport, not just Aussie rules. There are some incredible opportunities, but there's also some massive consequences that aren't aren't a fait accompli, but uh, they're lurking for every single individual involved in the game and that's not just players that's that's media that's administration it's everyone that's in an industry and, and i suppose you know i saw that firsthand in radio and tv particularly where you're dealing day in day out with uh, players big personalities i worked with gary for a couple of years at SEN and at channel nine and um when you get on the inside of the industry you definitely realize that um <laughs> it's not all lollipops and chocolates like it sometimes look when you're watching at home that's for sure yeah, mate, it's it's really interesting um, with regards to sport. I'm a little bit older than you, but sort of coming through the 70s where uh, sport wasn't really an industry, but then Kerry Packer came along and actually created it and turned it into an industry, you know, uh, yeah. and got um, got sponsors on board, and, and a lot of those sponsors were unhealthy sponsors, uh, you know, that actually encouraged... <laughs> like cigarettes yeah. and- Players would be smoking at halftime, and that was just a, a, a normal thing. Oh, mate, I remember uh, Australian country played New Zealand in uh, Horsham, where I'm from, uh, and I was like a 10-year-old boy. My stepbrother was a scorer, and we went to the game. I was allowed to get the, take the day off school, and there was girls dressed up in not much, walking around, <laughs> walking, walking around handing out cigarettes, and I was one of them that got one at 10, you know. Yeah, it's almost embarrassing, but it was just considered so normal back then, wasn't it? It was just a thing. It was, but, mate, you know, that, that's how that, that innocence of sports being plagiarised, <clears throat> just, yeah. just an example of it all. And, uh, you know, we're, unless we're really... Well, aware... sports betting is the new cigarettes, isn't it? You know, oh, I, I'm embarrassed time. when my, my 10-year-old asks me about the odds. And I was like, how does he even know that? But then it's like, well, every ad... If you're watching the footy at home with your kids and every ad in between a goal is a betting ad or it's like, you know, they're like, what are the odds? I was like, oh, my gosh, how are we even having this conversation? Mm. Um, but like you said, it has been taken over in so many ways. Oh, mate, unless we're, we're careful and we're conscious and we, we don't pick it up, we actually go, I get just caught up in it all. And, you know, that's why I think I'm doing what I'm doing here is to help the average Australian learn to actually like, be a bit more aware and awake of, of this sort of stuff and not sort of get um, trapped into the matrix of it all because uh, before you know it, you, you do get sucked into the drinking and the booze and the shit food and then all of a sudden you become reliant on a system which is trying to get you on pills <clears throat> mm. and that takes you away from, uh, you know, living your, <clears throat> pardon me, living your, um, you know, into your potential and your, your real truth and purpose in this lifetime and, and none of us want to struggle, mate, but, you know, a lot of us have handed over our health from an early age to, um, to a medical system which may not be, um, you know, doing the best for us possibly. It's interesting that you bring all of this up because I don't talk about this all of that all of that often. But when I was considering leaving the media, I actually one of my decision making processes was looking at the people that I was working with. So I was twenty five when I left Channel Nine, and I was looking at my um, colleagues, uh, superiors, whatever you want to call it. I was attempting to fast forward my life ten years or twenty years down the track. And I looked at their lives, whether it was people I worked at at Sport 927 and they were still on the punt. And I was like, if you knew so much about horse racing, like, why are you still in a job? And they'd say, well, 
if I knew as much as you think I know, I still wouldn't be here. Like, all of my bets would have paid off, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Or uh, their health had declined or their family life had declined or something was not or multiple areas of life were not where I would say I would want them to be if I was at their phase of life. And so I had to get out of that um, belief that the job was so great because the job is so much fun, but the consequences, like you said, you can get sucked up into so many, um, I don't want to say toxic habits, but toxic environments that we all have to be very vigilant of. And this isn't even just, again, in the media. This is anyone now these days, whether it's betting or whether it's some other toxic um lifestyle whether it's alcohol smoking whatever it is you have to be so vigilant and so strong to withdraw and not associate with some of those behaviors yes absolutely mate but it's quite sinister that those behaviors are getting pushed on us and when we're in a moment of weakness how we can actually uh, embody them um you know and and, you know you you you've got to feel some compassion for such a beautiful thing like sport to be plagiarised and uh, and be you know made into a vehicle which is um, which has got sinister motives behind it you know I think that's what we're going to do is we're going to start to try and wake people up um, to that because unless we're careful you know and particularly kids when their brains are still developing they can get caught up in the bedding into the shit food into the yeah um, the co- the yeah. commoditization of of sport yeah 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 that's right absolutely mate it's um. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I I just think you know, geez, mate, we're very lucky. I think we're all here for a reason at the moment because it's a, it's an amazing moment in time that um, people are starting to question things now, whereas previously they may not have. You know, we're all sort of in this lifestyle where we were where we're pretty unconscious, I, I guess. So to be able to sort of you know uh, you know ask questions and that these days and make a move away from what um, you know is perceived to be the norm is um, you know pretty important. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we are being thrown a lot of challenges, but on the flip side, it is actually um, forcing us to ask ourselves some pretty deep questions, which we may have been either unwilling or, as you said, unaware of Mm. previously. Mm. Yeah, that's right, mate. So, mate, it's really, really interesting and and well done and congratulations on being, uh, you know, I suppose curious enough to be able to walk away from the chocolates because, you know, the... The, the media can give you good financial incentives, but at the same time, your um, your health will suffer um, unless you're careful. And uh, there's so many people in that um, in that system that, um, that that are suffering, you know. And, and I worked at a reasonably high level in the health system, um, and you know, I saw a lot of people that were making decisions that were very unhealthy, you know, that were trying to uh, control the health system within the state. So. I sort of looked at them and I sort of thought, well, geez, you know, if these are the ones that are making the decisions, then I don't want to be part of that. So I... Uh, yeah, I are they the real mentors? Them. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So, you know, we're not, we're not um, glorifying the, 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 the true health leaders in uh, society. I suppose they're still like uh, in the undercurrent, but uh, I believe that's, that's slowly starting to change and people are starting to look at, um, you know, longevity and health totally differently than what we've, we've probably perceived it in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. We are still in a phase, um, if I put my longevity hat on for a moment, where we believe that I feel like there's two kind of um, streams coming out in the public uh, sphere, and that is there's the, there's a medical longevity, and then there's what I would call a lifestyle longevity. And I'm, I'm definitely in the realm of lifestyle longevity. But the medical longevity is, you know, finding the magic cure or the potion, whether it's resveratrol out of the grapes to make us live forever or whether there's some magic pill or potion or test or drug that's going to make us live longer and better and i still can't wrap my head around that uh people would want to believe that there's going to be one thing that's going to make the rest of their life so much easier uh i still can't help but look at society look at humanity and um recognize it being average in just one area of life and when I say average, I mean mediocre, so probably below average, subpar. Hitting a bogey in every area of life or even just one area of life has disastrous consequences. And we don't, um, we're very good at sweeping that under the carpet. If we hit a bogey in our family, if we hit a bogey in our career, if we hit a double bogey in our health, like even if we're hitting an eagle in our wealth or we're actually doing well in, um, you know, another area of life, whether it's our growth or our, our spirit, you know, living in Byron, there are so many spiritual people, I'm quote unquoting here, uh, but their family life's fallen apart or their health's fallen apart. 
um, or their career is falling apart, but they're quote unquote spiritual. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't help but guffaw because life's not that simple. Um, and it seems as if a lot of medical longevity is aimed at trying to make medi- uh, like making longevity simple. Take this drug, have this pill, find this magic potion. But I'm sorry, folks, uh, life's just not that simple. It's a bit more complicated than that, and longevity's no different. That's the illusion we're being sold, isn't it? You know, we're living longer, you know, this, that, and the other. But at the same time, yes, but we're struggling, we're suffering, we're, we're being kept alive by medication. Now, that's not... Well, the great elephant in the room is, is absolutely that. We are eighth on the ladder for longevity. And so everyone's like, oh, that's great, Australia. We average 81 for men and 84 for women. It's probably 85 now. Mm. But the thing is, we have 12 terrible years at the end. And that puts us 21st on the quality of life ladder. So we go from eighth for longevity, and then we tumble down the ladder to 21st for quality of life. Increased meds, years in a nursing home, chronic disease, uh, the financial consequences of illness are disastrous. Your social life becomes medical appointments. Your family hardly sees you because you're stuck in a home or you've got dementia or it's just very poor quality time. That's just no way to end the movie of life. And a lot of people now think that's normal. It's not normal. It's common, unfortunately, but it's definitely not normal. That's for sure. Mate. <clears throat> it's it's personal too. My my dad's in a nursing home, and um, <clears throat> the last couple of years, you know, he's he doesn't know what day it is, but um, he went into that nursing home a healthy man. Um, there's lots of reasons why that actually happened, and I wasn't really favourable of it, but um, you know, he didn't want to be there in the first place. He never had any medication at all, other than a garlic tablet he used to take every day, and. Um, Within a year or two, they had him on antidepressants. <laughs> they had him on... Wow. Yeah, had him on, had him on all this stuff, you know, and, and, and his cognitive health declined, his physical health declined, his connection with the earth declined, uh, and he's being kept alive. He's got a pacemaker in his chest that's keeping his heart beating, but he's not alive at all, you know? So is that going yeah. to uh, contribute to statistics? Yes, it is, but... Absolutely. Is it going to contribute to him living a, a beautiful, healthy life right to the end? It's not, unfortunately. And that's the thing, as you said, unfortunately, it is going to be on the on the, on the the graph, but it's not going to make anyone's life better. It might make a few companies wealthier, but it's not making you any happier, your family any happier, your dad any happier or fulfilled. Um, and... And I'm here to say, like, I'm not talking in, in uh, reference to your dad, but for all of us that are listening to this right now, this is not how life has to be. As much as society accepts it as normal, it is not normal. It's common. And, you know, my whole message is we need to be the exception to the rule. We have to be the exceptionals because if we're not the exception, then we are the ones stuck in the statistics, which means we're in the home, we've got the chronic disease, we're on the 18 medications and uh, it's not a life worth living when it gets to that point, as I'm sure we'd all agree. Mate, <clears throat> there's so much wisdom in, uh, in Eastern philosophy. Um, you know, I was talking to Josh Sawyer the other day, and Josh at 63 or 4 has got the body of a 25-year-old, and he's just bright and vibrant, but he does a practice daily, which keeps him that way, you know. Uh, and I've seen guys in their 70s and 80s uh, that are absolutely thriving, you know, and bright and, and got, you know, incredible bodies and, and able to do great things with them. That maintenance is, is so important. But you know, talking to Jost, uh, he said as we sort of get to 50 and more, we've got to be able to um, be more, use the word yang, so to be able to, you know, exercise more, do more physical exertion to keep our bodies uh, vibrant, but also keep our minds uh, engaged. Uh, you know, and we go through these different cycles in life, you know, primarily for me, uh, I was very yang between 40 and 45, and then sort of went more yin into the yoga and the meditation. And now I understand at almost 51 that I've got to be able to, you know, turn that back on again and, and flick that switch to be able to keep that balance. Because, you know, you, your body will possibly decline and you don't want to become reliant on um, outside influences if you can, if you've got a lot of power within yourself to be able to, you know, keep yourself uh, in harmony and maintained. And and that's that's available to us all, mate. You know, it really is. It's available to us all to be able to do things on a daily basis, which actually uh, provide preventative maintenance. Um, you know, I just think that's that, that's something which which we haven't been taught uh, on purpose. Uh, but primarily, uh, you know, we've all got the power to be able to change that within ourselves. 
Absolutely. And I listened to a great conversation uh, you had with our mutual friend Trevor Hendy about this very topic of yin and yang and, and, and knowing when you need the yin and, and knowing when to go into the yang. And and for all of us, that's just such, there's such wisdom in it. When to go slow and when to go fast and when it's time for aerobic versus when it's time for anaerobic and when it's time for quiet and when it's time for loud and and one is not better than the other. It's just knowing when to pull the right lever. Mm. And that kind of goes back then into intuition and trusting our gut and actually understanding who we are. Um, there's a really great book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying by Bronnie Ware. It was the fastest translated book in the history of Hay House Publishing. It faster than Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra. It went absolutely nuts. And the number one regret of humanity is that I wish I lived my life according to my own expectations rather than the expectations of others. Mm. And the sad part about that is that it's true. So many of us are living our lives according to what other people think we should be doing. Um, And so we lose that or we find it very difficult to find that um, spiritual muscle of intuition. And people live these, you know, quote-unquote quiet lives of desperation because they're so busy listening to everyone else that, that inner yearning or that calling to actually live the life that you were born to live is something that a lot of people really struggle to own because they're worried about what everyone else will think of them when they live their own life. But I think you and I could probably both agree, Aaron, no one cares. Everyone is so filled up on their own life. No one's going to bed at night thinking about whether you're living your best life or not. Most people wake up each day and uh, are thinking about what's happening in their own life. So I think more than anything, with everything that you're saying, like we have to reclaim that that inner knowing of what's right for us. Are you in a yin or yang phase? Is it time to stop listening to others and to listen to yourself more? How that plays out is different for everyone, but there's no doubt that it's a, it's a common ingredient to every great life that um, I've interviewed or come across. Mm. Yeah, mate. <clears throat> it's amazing, isn't it? And I, 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 I always come back to the moments like where I, I as, a, as a person myself, was sort of... Um, Put into that flight and fight mode in school, you know, uh, not being able to be in tune, um, you know, as a young person and put into threat. So, you know, I believe kids are in threat consistently with regards to expectation, grades, judgments, comparisons, uh, all that sort of stuff. Jeez, mate, you know, isn't it time to actually like wake up and start to change this sort of thing? Because it, and it's not really working. Um, you know, the school system is, is still the same as what it was 100 years ago. Um, you know, we've all been part of that. Luckily, you and I have sort of come to a, a stage in our lives where we're actually starting to, um, to, to actually, you know, question what we have been taught, but also be grateful for the experience and be able to move out of it. But, um, yeah, but yeah, it's just amazing that, um, that we are, we are taken away from our alignment quite early. And, um, and that, that self-criticism is, is the, the, one of the hardest things for people. And that's why we've got such, um, decline in mental health, I believe, and also suicide. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, this is where it really does all begin in the home. You know, I think you and I were talking off air earlier, just how much stuff comes back to childhood. Mm. So for people that are, you know, listening to this right now, it's like, well, what's your home environment like? And if you've got children, what what is the culture of the home that they're growing up in? And, you know, I, I talked to my son, you know, Darby, or um, just about, you know, the two biggest influences. Well, maybe it's not two Darby, maybe when I'm talking about him is, the two biggest influence for a 10-year-old boy right now are the, the home life and the schoolyard. Mm. It's not so much, in my view, it's not so much at 10, it's not the classroom as much as it is the schoolyard because it's in the schoolyard where, you know, the kids, they pull out, you know, a phone that they're not meant to have or they say words they're not meant to say or they're eating food they're not meant to eat and then, you know, your child comes home and it's like, everyone's got this, everyone has this, why don't I have it? Da, 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 da. Mm. And that really does test the strength of your home life. And that's just not when you're 10, it's when you're 15 and 20 and so on and so forth. You want to buy this car because someone else has got it or you want that job because you think it'll make you rich because someone else is or whatever it is. Um, but the culture really begins in the home. And I think that's just so important as as parents, but even if you don't have kids, like if you've got a partner in the house, well, what's the culture like? And a lot of people really felt that negatively, but also positively. Uh, but if they're in a negative relationship, a disempowering relationship, those COVID times were so hard because there'd be nothing worse being in a toxic 
uh, home culture um, and not being able to do much about it. Mm. Um, and at the same time, if you had a great relationship and you were stuck together for a couple of years and you couldn't go very far, well, thankfully, the strength of your relationship saw that through. Um, and again, that's for parents and that's for intimate partners and even if it's just for roommates and flatmates, you wouldn't want to be living with someone dodgy during those times. So I think it's really important that we that we do bring it back to our responsibility and, and what type of culture are we creating, particularly what I would say between 5 p.m. and 9 a.m. Mm. I don't know about you, Aaron, but between 9 and 5, you know, we get along, we talk to strangers, we say, how's the weather, how are you going, nice to see you, thanks for the coffee. We, you know, we let people through, we give way, you know. <clears throat> when everyone's watching, we're pretty good. But I think the question is, what's happening when everyone's not watching? Between 5 p.m. and 9 a.m., how are we and what's our culture? Yes. And I just think that's absolutely pivotal um, for taking responsibility for our lives. Yeah, mate. I think you can, you can, you can in-source it or outsource it. You know, I don't have a TV. Uh, I don't sort of, um, you know, have many distractions. Uh, you know, if you're sitting down at 6 o'clock with a beer watching the news... You're opening yourself up to all this bloody uh, unnecessary trauma, primarily, and, and embodying mm. that. And that's going to play on your mind when you go to sleep. And then you're going to come up uh, in the next morning with a probably a, a bit of a foul mood because your body is um, not recovered and your mind is still switched on. And that's going to go into the way you behave around your children as well. So, you know, it's really much uh, and, uh, around yeah. choice. Yeah, go ahead. And in, and in the corporate setting, because I, I get a bit of resistance when I talk about this, in the corporate setting is if you wake up in the morning and watch the news and then you drive to work or get the train to work and you're listening to the news and then you walk in and you've got a, a high-level meeting at 9am and what type of – what what version of you are you bringing into your workplace? You know, take the kids out of it for a moment. What version of you are you bringing into that meeting? Mm. And normally, for anyone that wants to know a bit about the news, if it bleeds, it leads. So you're only getting the bleeding – uh, at the top of the news, you're not hearing about the incredible stuff happening in the world. Mm. Uh, news is going to stress you out. It's going to raise your cortisol levels. That's going to create more anxiety. That's going to make you more tunnel vision, more negative, uh, more agitated. And then you're bringing that into the workplace or into the kitchen. Um, that is not the version of uh, humanity that we want to let thrive. Mm. And the only person that can stop it is the person that looks themselves in the mirror. Because if there's one thing I've kind of learnt, mainstream media is not going to go away. It's not going to disappear. Betting ads aren't going to go away. Um, you know, I think grog sales went up by 40% over COVID. Antidepressants went up by uh, 100%. The antidepressant uh, industry doubled in 12 months from 2020 to 2021. Mm. This stuff's not going away. The only way it's going to um, lessen is if the demand lessens. And the only way that's going to happen is if we actually take control of our lives. Like you said, you don't have a TV, you're not consuming it. Um, I just think it's really important that we don't expect anyone else to do this for us. The only person that can do it is ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, mate, listen to the teacher within, you know, and, uh, and actually understand what, uh, what the body's telling us and what, um, what, where the mind's going and being able to, you know, pull that back in, I, I think so important, you know, and, it's interesting, mate. Um, I, I love what you're doing with regards to the work you've done and around, you know, being honest and, and truthful around um, doing what works for you to keep you happy, healthy and well. What what are probably, you know, the five key tips with regards to to being in harmony with yourself and, and, and longevity that you've been able to discover over the journey? Uh, well, I'd have to. Can I give you eight? Yeah. Because I, I um, there's, there's eight. Um, and these are much more easier said than done. But in all of my work, you know, I've had a podcast. I think it's Australia's longest-running podcast on longevity called 100 Not Out. We've been going over 10 years just in our 500th episode. So there's a lot of centenarians and graceful ages that uh, my co-host Damien Christoph and I have interviewed, and, and that's, that doesn't include the, the research I've done outside of that. But there are eight key ingredients, and they are your, your life purpose and your, or your career – your movement, which is more important than your nutrition, your social life, which is more important than your nutrition for longevity, your nutrition, which is a really important bridge between longevity and quality of life, your family life, which is a massive thing for your quality of life, but it won't necessarily make you live longer, your growth, which will yield great enthusiasm when done right, but you'll be bored as a batshit if you don't actually have any inspired hobbies, uh, your wealth, 
uh, which is a really good quality of life enhancer, and then your spirit, which you want to put into all of those preceding uh, seven areas. But here are the tips. You must find work. So life, purpose, career, you must find work that you love to do. So you do what you love and love what you do. If I said to the listener, are you doing what you love and loving what you do, dot, 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 most of the time, your answer will dictate whether you're going to actually have a great um, career moving forward. If you don't, uh, you're going to end up with regret. If you do love what you do, you're going to be inspired. So, and I know you're an inspired individual, Aaron. You know, you can't stop talking about this stuff. You have a magnificent obsession. Um, it's clear with what you've done with Outback Mind Foundation and the rest that you are inspired. So that's tip number Tip number two is movement. Movement, exercise is a chore for most people, but movement is a lifestyle choice. So we've got to go from exercise to movement and it will yield great vitality. So most of the time it's doing what you loved growing up. So if it's, for me, it's playing Aussie rules, but I like to play like AFL nines or, you know, non-contact football (laughs) these days. You know, it might be swimming. It could be table tennis. It could be lawn bowls. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, it could be dancing could be archery, like it doesn't matter. It's just got to bring you joy and it brings you a physical vitality. The social tip is to really question who you're hanging around. So I say socialising is energising, dot, 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 when done with the right people. You know, the personal growth mantra is you're the average of the five people you hang around. I think it's really good. You just got to put a tick or a cross next to the five people you spend the most time with as to how do they bring out the best version of you. Do you get energized by being around them? Uh, tip number four, nutrition. We must go from, uh, there's a great um, a French philosopher, Roche Foucault, said to eat is a necessity, but to eat intelligently is an art. So I'm less about what to eat and I'm more about how you eat and who you're eating with. Most of us are eating alone. Most of us are eating too quickly. We're not chewing our, fo- our, our food. Most of us are eating fast food, convenient food, frozen meals, we're eating in front of the TV. We're not talking to our loved ones or our friends or family whilst we're eating. So we've lost the eating. So I really would recommend to people to bring back the art of eating. Chew your food is one great tip. Just chew your food. It's really simple. Our family, it's all about judgment. So most of us judge our family members, whereas really family is the only personal growth course any of us needs. It's free unless you get squirreled out of the wheel. It's free. It goes for a very long time. There's plenty of modules. You've got your grandparents, your parents, your siblings, your partner, your children. That's just five areas of family, but there's literally a dozen or more. Our greatest challenge in family is not to judge our family members for doing what they do. Mm. We have to love our family members for who they are, which is another human being on the planet, and we're connected to them through our blood. Mm. We have to love them unconditionally, and it's only when we do that can we see the wisdom of them being the way that they are, whether they're negative or whether they're um, tight or whether they're, whether they're judgmental. Like, what are the benefits of all of that um, in our family? If we look at growth, it's learning what you love to learn, not what you should learn, not what your boss says you have to learn. Like, if you want to learn French, learn French. If you want to play the piano, play the piano. If you want to go and learn how to play golf, learn how to play golf. Um, wealth is really simple. Spend less than you earn, uh, dot, 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 and invest a difference. If anyone doesn't have a budget or knows how much that they're spending, you can almost write the script for being broke. And being on the pension is relative poverty in Australia. Anyone that thinks that being on the pension is like a good financial goal, they've got to wash their mouth out or their eyes out or their ears out because you don't want to be on the pension and think that you'll be okay. You won't be able to see your grandkids travel. You won't be able to go and see your favourite performer when they come out on concert. You won't be able to go and visit Aaron and go to his event because you won't have the money in the bank. Like It's really important that we get... We live in a wealthy nation, so we have to be comfortable with money If we're not, we're in for relative poverty. And then spiritually, we are broken if we read the news, believing good and bad, right and wrong, love and hate and so on. If we can't find the blessings in disguise through all areas of our life, we become spiritually broken. But if we can see the blessings in disguise, then there's a level of fulfillment in life that allows us to truly see the joy and the greatness in all experiences. Even though COVID was crappy and terrible and disgusting in so many ways, it also magnified to a lot of us what's important in life, whether it's people that we want to spend time with, people that we don't want to spend time with, jobs that we don't want to tolerate anymore, communities we don't want to live in and we want to go somewhere else. There are so many blessings to the disguise or in the disguise of COVID, but we've got to be open to seeing what they are. Um, so they're my eight tips. I know that's pretty quick, but um, if you can rewind and 
play that again, folks. I'd recommend just designing your life around around those eight areas of life and and those um, eight outcomes. Well, mate, um, <clears throat> look, you know, a few things, and, and well done. You know, that, that's an amazing analogy of, of all this sort of stuff, which is important. Uh, now we've been disempowered from a lot of those. So, you know, say for example, wealth, uh, we, we outsource that because we're, we're borrowing money. Uh, you know, nutrition, we're, we're being led down the wrong garden path with regards to that. But spirituality, we've all actually like got trauma from that because of what, um, what we've been led to believe, you know. Uh, I've had to. Well, you're telling me there's not an old man in a white beard up top somewhere? Oh, look, there's there's plenty of them walking around on the earth, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but mate, um, really, at the end of the day, be quiet, listen, look, and learn what what is actually going on in the environment around you. You know, um, there's an ancient word called sunya, and that's that means um, you know by listening, the secrets of life are revealed. If you can get to a stage in your day where you can just be quiet and just observe yourself, observe what's going on around you, the harmony of your body and the harmony of the earth, without any distraction, uh, you will find that you'll start to come back into a sense of, uh, a sense of peace and a sense of, sense of being centred again, you know. And, and see, you know, my, my, my challenge is uh, working with guys is to be able to help them understand that because sitting still is, is not a... Um, uh, uh, you know, a, a thing that we can do without distraction. Uh, we, we've always got to try and have something to do, but, you know, to actually have nothing to do is such a gift that we don't actually understand or realise. And, and you know, you look, at, you look at Christianity, spirituality, all that, you know, I believe, just say Jesus was an enlightened man, which I believe we all can be if we want to be, if we choose to be, if we actually allow ourselves to be that way, you know, and he had to do work on himself to be able to, to find things. And, um, you know, we could all do that work on ourselves if we choose to, you know, and the life we are in can be an absolute gift and a joy for us if we actually allow it to, to, to be that way, you know. Um, rather than using force, use, use our own power and be connected with what uh, our potential is. I've always said, or not always, but for the last you know, 10 years since I sort of went through a transformation myself is we've got no idea of what our potential is as humans. You know, we physically, mentally, spiritually, I could be having a, th- a thought about Marcus and next minute the phone rings and it's Marcus, you know. So this sort of stuff... Um, which is beyond love our, it when that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's it's available to us all, mate. That that sort of intu- intuitive knowing and that behaviour, um, which we're just disconnected from. But that sort of stuff is just uh, really tapping into our true human potential. And uh, a lot of us are really unconscious of that. But I just think if we can start to do things where we can start to get harmony in our lives and find the harmony within ourselves and also within everything around us, you can see it's a friendly universe and everything's trying to work for you rather than against you. Yeah, absolutely, and it's a it is a great way to live. I do think, like you said, it's easy said and done um, for a lot of us that, that have been disempowered in certain areas of life. Mm. But that doesn't mean it's something to give up on. I think it's something to examine. I think Socrates said, "The unexamined life is not worth living." And many of us are so distracted now that we're not examining our lives enough. Um, we're just not checking in. We're, we're not reflecting. I think what you said earlier, we're not we're not listening to the wisdom of the universe we're not getting out in nature in the silence and just um being there if we are we've probably got a tinny in our hand or a cigarette in the other and Mm. like you said we're we're going into the silence distracted um i think it's so important that we actually examine our lives um truthfully and and properly and and and, uh take stock to audit where we're at right now because if Mm. we don't then how do we really know um that we've got the power to create our lives moving forward if we just hope for the best but we're not prepared to do the best and we're not prepared to think the best and we're not prepared to be the best version of ourselves, um, then then hope's a kind of sad partner to take on that journey. Mate, you know, it, it's amazing. It keeps coming back to me too. Jeez, um, I tell you what, I've been around some really agitated minds before. Uh, to be able to actually go into a room where minds are agitated and then within an hour and a half, everyone, everyone back to you know, feeling centred and back to their hearts again is one of the most powerful things that I've ever been able to experience as a human. But you know, one thing I've done uh, is, is going into maximum security and, and taught you know, um, yin yoga. <laughs> and that, that helped these guys, which, which were highly aggressive and highly agitated, learn to settle down and calm down. And that actually 
just showed me that this sort of stuff is available to us all as humans if we actually get shown the way to be able to, you know, self-regulate uh, and mm. actually do the work within ourselves to keep us, um, you know, balanced physically and mentally. And, um, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's the secret too, Marcus. So I think we've got to actually take our power back and start to do things which actually, like, nurture us. Um, geez, it's, it's amazing, you know. I really have a lot of compassion for guys that have been incarcerated because a lot of those guys were traumatised little boys that never had the ability to be able to um, express themselves or were always around positive, sorry, not so much positive lifestyle behaviours and, uh, and trauma. And, um, you know, and we're punishing them for that. You know, no one's actually showing That's right. And I, yes. Yeah, and, go ahead. Sorry. And the courage, the courage of incarcerated men and women to actually um, work on themselves and, and, for want of a better term, put their lives back together. Mm. Because the easy, the easy option is to just let it spiral out of control. Um, but even for incarcerated people to actually work on themselves meaningfully whilst they're still um, in prison, mm. I think that's an incredible thing because okay. it would be so easy, you could imagine, to just give up on life and to give up on the goodness of life. But for people that have gone through challenge and, like you said, you know, in almost every case it stems back to childhood and what they were exposed to growing up. But to begin to um, repair, uh, regenerate their lives, um, I just think it, it just, it's an incredible thing. And that's why we need more people like you, Aaron, to inspire these people to actually want to improve their lives and want to set an example for, in many ways, redemption. Mm. Mate, you know, it's, this is where I, I get unstuck and, and tangled up with myself. You know, I want to do this sort of stuff. I want to be able to do things to be able to connect with more people and, uh, and uh, you know, have the ability to be able to go and you know, provide support, but there's all these barriers that just keep getting in the way that, uh, that don't allow it. I'd love to get a phone call from the Justice Department to say, Aaron, we want to do a program for 12 months. Can you uh, help us out? Great, you know, but is that going to happen in a hurry? No, it's not, unfortunately. You know, I'd like to get a phone call from a big business that provides um, goods and services to regional Australia to be able to say, we want to take a preventative approach to our people. We want to look after them. We don't want to use an EAP anymore, you know. We want to actually like start to, to, to really nurture our people and keep them here rather than, um, uh, rather than turn people over like, uh, you know, most employers do. You know, can you come and help us out? So this is the sort of stuff that I, I, I want to be able to do, but, you know, it's not happening. And, um, you know, uh, eventually it, it will, but it's just a shame that we're, we've sort of got to, you know, uh, turn the wheel around to where it's, it's previously been going because, um, you know, that reactive culture is, is not working. It's a proactive culture we've got to try and bring in, um, which can help people that have had trauma to be able to rehabilitate functionally and, and be independent uh, rather than rely on, um, on the health system or, you know, getting incarcerated again because they can't survive on the outside world. Um, yeah. And we've got to be able to help the individual in the workplace that's uh, getting good money but at, outside the workplace, they're broken, you know. I just think uh, tra- um, organisations that are transformational rather than transactional are the ones that are uh, most uh, needed and important in this world moving forward. I still reckon, I'm, I mean, you know, I've, I've listened to a number of your podcasts and some incredible human beings on there, and I'm a massive believer in seven-year cycles. I think Rudolf, mm-hmm. well, in my, in my world, I, I first learned about it from... Rudolf Steiner, I don't know if he was the one that first started speaking about them, but the power of seven-year cycles and, and looking at life and even what you're doing with the Outback Mind Foundation in the context of seven years, you know, you've created a lot of magic so far and even just, again, looking at the catalogue of guests that you've had, that you have, there's a, there is something about seven years and I would, I would love to be looking at what you've achieved in, a, in the breadth of seven years mm. um, and... You know, in my observation of, of human beings, something something special happens between that six and eight year mark. Um, if if the why is maintained and the commitment and the and the drive is still there, it either it ends or it takes a whole new lease on life. Um, and you know, looking at what you do, Aaron, like I'm I'm betting on the fact that um, in your seven year cycle, it goes to a whole new level uh, because it's not just necessary, but uh, it, it almost feels like humanity's natural next next step forward mm. oh mate i really really appreciate that yeah i, I know if uh, i keep hanging in there and um you know just just keep doing uh, things like i'm doing and not forcing it then um you know usually uh 
the right outcomes come. But, you know, we had the conversation about a grant that I missed out on recently that I was disappointed about. But at the same time, if I'd have got that, I would have been trapped. You know, I, I want to be able to do what I what I want to do with ease rather than with dis-ease, you know. And when you've got these things in the road which are taking you out of alignment, you're not really able to, to do things, you know, from your heart, I suppose, you know. And that's where we need to start to lead from, if we can stay connected with that rather than, um, you know, compliances and things that get in the road from, uh, from that connection. <laughs> I just think that's really, really important. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think, as a, I mean, any entrepreneur does not like that C word. The compliance just reeks of spending time in front of a computer, filling out forms and slowly rotting away. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this podcast interview is not compliant. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's it's a, it's an organic conversation that you want to just let flow. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the beauty of Outback Mind. You know, it's organic. It doesn't have to comply, if I want a better term, with certain social measures. It's actually just going straight to the heart of the conversation. It's getting straight to the point. Um, and, you know, this conversation is, is designed to prod people in the heartstrings, not just the headstrings, yes. um, but to actually get things moving um, more organically, which, you know, which is often far more effective than, yeah, ticking boxes and saying the right thing because often the right thing is not uh, the right thing for life. It's just uh, something that's not going to offend, but it's not really going to inspire um, at the same time. So, mm. no, nah, keep on doing what you're doing, man. Just hang in there like you said. Because persistence will pay off, I have no doubt about it. Mm. Oh, I appreciate that, mate. I really do. And, you know, geez, if, if for someone like you to be able to walk away from what you were doing and then, you know, be running a podcast for 10 years, um, that's that's amazing. You know, you, you've hit that seven-year mark and, and moved beyond it. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, mate, you still love what you're doing. And, and, you know, can you tell us a bit about some of the amazing people that you've had on? I know you had Tom Hafey on and... Um, Tom Hafey was probably the individual which actually sparked me to make some changes, um, you know, all those years back as well. Oh, I love Tommy Hafey. I think he was our very first um, or second interview uh, back in the day. He was a dear friend, a lovely fella. Um, look, many of our guests have been what I would call everyday exceptionals, and then you've got the others that are kind of revered for um, really define the ageing stereotype in a in a public fashion, Tom Hafey being one of them. Mm. But I really love to chat with people that we've never met, never heard of, that, you know, they could be your next-door neighbour, they could be the person that is um, volunteering down at the canteen at the local footy club or the local church or the local youth 3A, they're the secretary, and, you know, they could be 85 or 90 or 95 or 105 or Australia's oldest man or woman and, they are just doing what they're doing because they love to, not because they're a, a certain age. Um, so we've had people, you know, a couple of people. Like I love, I love interviewing Holocaust survivors or war survivors because many of us listening to this podcast have not experienced the ravages of war. I was a bit concerned when people were talking about COVID as similar to the Holocaust. When I'm like, oh, I don't <laughs> think there's uh, much to compare between what we're going through and what they were going through. <laughs> Um, in terms of daily lives and you interview Holocaust survivors and talking about the fact that a lot of people that went through the Holocaust or went through wars never really got out of the battlefield or the concentration camp. Their minds were trapped in a trauma that they could never get out of their entire life. And then you've got these exceptionals, these these one or two percent that could actually reintegrate back into society and for many of them it took years there was a dear friend of mine eddie jq who wrote an incredible book uh the happiest man on earth but um we would actually catch up regularly in sydney and you know we would it would i I would shout eddie lunch and then he would take me over to the jewish museum for a coffee and we'd, we'd go for a tour around and he would be inspiring school children to just be friendly to people not to hate anyone you can disagree you can not like someone they can rub you up the wrong, the wrong way but not to hate and what a message because so many of us grow up in a society where hate and outrage is almost like expected mm-hmm. you're meant to take one side or another you either love something or you hate something and i love interviewing people um that have gone through the experience of let's say hate you know um war being one of those examples where you're meant to hate your enemy but even interviewing anzac heroes and how they would actually 
they would enjoy the company of their Turkish enemies, you know, one side of the trench versus the other, and they would, you know, one would throw over cigarettes and the other would throw over, what would, what would we throw over? Jam or Vegemite or crackers or something. Um, but it was like a camaraderie that, that had a level of humanity to it that many of us have, have forgotten or unlearnt how to have. And so, you know, I could, I could tell you hundreds of stories of guests that I've had, but... Um, a lot of them I've popped into a book, Aaron, called Your Exceptional Life. I featured 64 of the guests um, in a book that came out um, in 2021. It took me five years to write, but it's really a combination of some of the best principles that um, I gleaned from interviewing over 200 of the world's, you know, graceful ages and centenarians um, because, yeah, there are, there are too many to mention, but um, nonetheless, some pretty profound stuff has happened on that podcast. Oh, mate. I've got to get a get a copy of that. I um oh one's in the mail, don't you worry. There's one in the post. <laughs> it's isn't it amazing? Like you know, you, you just you talk about nursing homes, but when I was back in Victoria, I actually got asked to do some work there, and I got to talk to a lot of old guys about their lives, and um yeah, you know exactly what you said. It was just the, the high levels of awareness and consciousness, like love, rather than who they hated. Um, you know, which um, which say which which lit them up. You know, we've we've got the ability to be able to move from hate to love uh, every day if we want to. Hate is disempowering us. It's it's not empowering us. Love is empowering us. You know, that's a hard word for us to understand because for men primarily we 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 see that as being too feminine, but it's uh, it's actually who we really are. You know, I believe that's what. We're trying to be taught on a daily basis. We're just going to learn to listen to that and uh, and tap into it, mate. You know, I I really recommend. Oh yeah, and we yeah. put up a shield. I mean, this whole thing of um holding grudges. Let's be honest. If mm. we've got a lot of uh, male listeners on, it's because we're too scared to actually forgive, to go into that more feminine energy, if you want to call it that, to actually forgive. I don't. I I think it could be a, a beautiful masculine energy as well to to forgive and accept someone. But it's that vulnerability. I think is probably the term that I'm looking for, isn't it? Where Instead, we'll hold a grudge because we don't want to go to that tears and snot place of actually being vulnerable enough to accept um, a human being that has committed a behaviour that is completely against our values. Mm. So instead, we hold a grudge or hate. And, you know, there are some of those great one-liners that, you know, um, uh, hate affects the hater more than the hated um, and... What's the other one about drinking a cup of poison and expecting the other person to die? <laughs> you know, like, it's just it, it, that, that from a masculine perspective is really interesting. We just want to hold on to grudges mm. rather than just thank the person for being them and showing us almost how not to behave. I really think that's a big thing, particularly for, um, you know, my dad hated his dad. My grandfather was a raging alcoholic he died in his sleep. I think my dad was 21 at the time and my dad came home and found his dad uh, dead in bed and my dad said, good. When my dad found his dad dead in bed, my dad breathed a sigh of relief and said, good, because my dad had lived in a really challenging home because his dad was an alcoholic. I think anyone listening that's had an alcoholic parent could relate that, you know, my dad didn't finish school. I said, why didn't you finish school, Dad? I said, well, the home life was not a place for homework. That's for sure. Like, it was hard to get good grades when the home life was so volatile. Um, but my my grandfather taught my dad in a, in, a, in a cosmic way how not to behave. Mm. So I see that as a bit of a blessing, as a massive blessing. Thankfully, my dad... Um, is an incredible dad he's my best mate and i think it's because his dad taught him how not to parent and yeah. how not to behave and so my dad learned that lesson and applied that to his life now my my aunties and uncle didn't apply that lesson in the same way they're all dead my dad's the last one standing of four kids um my aunties and uncle were if they weren't alcoholics they were pretty close and uh they were smokers and they had some pretty tough times. But I do think that if you ask all four of those children, why did you turn out the way you did? They would all say the exact same thing, my dad included. And they would say, if you saw my dad, you would understand why. Mm. Now, one of those children became the, the non-drinking, you know, great parent. And three of those children were almost like, well... My dad was an alcoholic and a smoker. It was a tough upbringing, tough home life. And they, they, for want of a better term, repeated that cycle in their own lives. Mm. Now, isn't that interesting? Because it can't be genes. <laughs> it's not genes. 
It's not, oh, my dad did it or my mum did it, so I've got it. No, it's it's lifestyle and it's environment. And that's what we have to take 100% responsibility in. We get to choose how we live our lives, um, regardless of what we've been brought up in. Uh, what we choose to do today and what we choose to believe today is a choice. And if we don't believe that, then we do sign up for um, it's not my fault and you know, don't blame me, blame my parents, which really, that's little kid behaviour, let's be honest. Yeah, mate. It's interesting, you know, the victim. Um, I was thinking today, uh, earlier this morning, about Tommy Herschel that I had on for a podcast on episode 12 or something like that. And, and he played in the victim realm all his life because of something that his dad did. And, um, you know, there was a moment where he was, like, drinking heavily and all that, and he just got a smack around the chops and that sorted him out. But, um but primarily, um, yeah, we can get stuck in that and it's easy to go back into it as well. <coughs> and Pardon me. <coughs> and, it's, and the word is easy because, you know, we can go to easy or we can go to growth, you know, primarily. And um, we've got to have some ease in our life consistently. We've also got to be able to challenge ourselves to get away from, um, you know, a trigger which uh, can take us um, towards disconnection. And, you know, good on your dad for actually being brave enough to, uh, to move forward with this, whereas his siblings... You know, just basically stuck in that victim mentality by the sound of it as well. Well, it's that, but I think it comes down to look. It's I'd love I'd love to be able to figure out why my dad did and 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 my aunties and uncle didn't. They were all great people. Don't get me wrong, but they just had tougher tougher lives. Mm. And it's hard to be able to point. You know, I, I I didn't live my dad's life before I was born, obviously, so I don't know the swings and roundabouts and forks in the road where he made certain decisions. Um, but all of us listening today, we do have to make those decisions where it's like, do I do I carry on this tradition of toxic behaviour that I may have learnt from my parents or my siblings or my schoolmates or my, my office environment or do I write the script for a better life? Mm. And, you know, I'm big on this that no one else is going to do it for us, not our therapist, not our coach. You know, I'm a longevity coach, but I'm always like, don't expect me to do it for you. You know, you can't kick the – Alistair Clarkson can't kick the goal. Simon Goodwin can't kick the goal. You know, there's only there's only the person with the ball in their hand, which is every single one of us, that can kick the goal in life. We can have people around us that can help us and influence us and support us and so on. But we're the one that's got to do the work. And I just think that that responsibility is, is absolutely pivotal. When we're, when we're – when we're playing adults, Aaron, like, you know, you ever feel like you're playing grown-ups? You're still a little kid playing grown-ups? Tommy Hafey always said he still felt like he was 21. Even if he was 81, he still felt like he was 21, you know, but he was he was behaving, behaving like a wise adult but didn't lose that youthful exuberance in his mind. Mm. And I think that's the way to live. We've got to take responsibility, but don't lose your can-do attitude, that's for sure. Mm, mate, amazingly... Amazingly said, you know, geez, Tommy Hafey just come back to me then. He was vibrant until the day he died, you know. I was talking Absolutely. To, well, I was talking to John Toomey the other day. He, he contacted me, caught up in Gladstone, and, and, and he talked to Tom like a day or two out before he died. And um, he said he was fine. He said, ah, oh, I just got to go in. I think well, this could be it, mate. And, um, and that was it, you know. But he didn't, he didn't struggle like my old man, like in a nursing home on bloody on pills and, and, and with dementia, you know, for the last few, few years of his life, he actually, like, lived it vibrantly and he knew when it was time to check out. And I, I believe Which I think that. is what we all want, isn't it? Isn't that what <laughs> yeah. we all want? Yeah, it is. One of my regrets uh, was that I didn't call Tommy when um, he was diagnosed because I just believed <laughs> that he would be fine. You know, it was almost like because that was just Tommy, he would just... He would be great no matter the... He would be great with no arms, no legs, no eyes, no ears. Mm. He'd just be chipper and happy. You just felt like he was invincible. But um, like you said, he checked out um, having had quality of life pretty much up until the day he died, mm. which if you ask any of us, really, what do you want? 12 years in a nursing home, seven years, you know, diagnosis to death with dementia, you know, all of the money that you accrued over 40 years of work just crumbles into a system which doesn't really support you all that emotional stress on the family and everything that goes with it the social isolation and la 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 mm. or do you want to just go bang and it's all over yep. like i'm yep. pretty sure we'd all want to go quick um whether it's six weeks which it was for tommy you know maybe six months but you know 
I'd be tipping. I'd be tipping anywhere between a day and six weeks, Aaron. Mm. Um, and uh, even though it's a bit of a shock, that's kind of the other side of the conversation. And I'm going on a bit here, but if if you if you argue well, but then it's a shock to everyone else because they're here one day and gone the next, or, or something like that. Um, well, do you really want the do you really want the person dying to like have cancer for three years so that you can? You can grieve a little bit more slowly. <laughs> you know, come on, that's pretty selfish, isn't it? I, um, I agree. And, and it's also, also the, the drain uh, that actually goes with it for everyone around you, you know. Like you, you go straight into compassion once you hear, you know, of a diagnosis and then the journey begins, doesn't it? But that journey could take um, a small amount of time, but primarily it takes a, lot, a long amount of time, you know, with someone with cancer, with chemo and all that sort of stuff, you know. And Yeah. Um, I, I believe, yeah. I believe, I've seen so much evidence with people that have had chronic disease being able to sort of sort themselves out through through fasting and, and doing things which are actually like giving their body a break and a rest and how, actually, you know, being able to reverse that. But, um, but yeah, I, I just think, um, you know, if we're wise enough within ourselves and the ability to be able to self-diagnose and self-heal, um, you know, can, can become more, you know, relevant rather than not, I guess, you know. And, um, yeah, look, you know, mate, we've all had we've all had people in our lives that have left too early, um, you know, through various consequences. But if we can get to, I believe I'm going to be in this body till I'm 108. If I can get to 108 and then the last uh, few days of that, uh, I'm still sharp enough to be able to you know, make a contribution, then, um, then, then, then tremendous, you know. And um, Where'd you pick 108 from? I've never heard someone give <laughs> themselves such a random number. There's a whole podcast for that one in itself, mate. So we'll I'll have to go and listen to it. <laughs> I haven't done that one yet, but definitely uh, we, we need to probably have more of a chat about that. But, uh, okay. but, but for sure. So, you know, yeah, I, I just think, you know, if we have um, the ability to be able to pace ourselves in life and be able to move through, you know, months, quarters, years uh, with observation and, uh, and curiosity and connection with ourselves, then the whole journey be- can become like a beautiful marathon, which uh, you're engaged with rather than being disengaged with. And I just think we're, we're way too disengaged in life and all of a sudden we get to the end of it and um, we, we, we think, what the hell was that all about? And we, uh, you know, we, we don't have a, a great exit, but um, I think the exit can be, um, can be uh, a pure joy because, you know, I believe once we leave this body, we actually go home again and we start to have a rest. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a beautiful way to think about it, that's for sure. Yeah, mate. And, um, yeah, it'd be nice to have a rest. But anyway, uh, we've got to keep uh, keep chipping and doing what we're doing now at, uh, at, the, at the present time. But uh, certainly, uh, you know, if you can, you can keep yourself connected. Like I, I always say, like people in modern society talk about going on holidays. Life can be like a holiday all the time if you keep yourself, you know, contained and, and, and aware and, and emotionally balanced. I, I really believe that, you know. So... There's yep. a lot, uh, a lot in that. I'd love people to get hold of you, mate. Get hold of your book and read about uh, the wisdom that you've been able to sort of uh, uh, collaborate all these years. Um, so, what's the best way of doing that? Is that through the website or? Yeah, there's a few ways. If if people like audio books, I did read the book out loud, so that's Audible and Apple Books, and and where people like to consume audio books, they can buy the book on. The big sites, if they want a personalised signed copy uh, from myself, then the best way is to go to my website, marcuspierce.com.au, and I'll see a link to the book there. Um, and then I'm just on the – oh, the podcast is 100 Not Out, 100 Not Out, and uh, and then just on the socials at Marcus D. Pierce. Marcus D. Pierce, all right. And the other famous Pierce was Brad Pierce that played for Carlton. That's right, that's right. No relation, but he was a good <laughs> left foot kick like myself. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, we've got in the, in the, in the AFLWD's uh, team, we've got Daisy Pierce and Lauren Pierce. So uh, the kids like to think they're related to the two Pierce girls um, uh, at the D's. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, there'll be no Marcus David Pierce in the annals of uh, great <laughs> AFL players. <laughs> that's it. If they ever put a team in Byron Bay, they might. But he might. But yeah, yeah. Maybe, honest. maybe that's right. Maybe the Brunswick Valley Bulldogs, where <laughs> where Kane Johnson, the ex Tiger and Crow, and I like to. Uh, um, he, I'm an outside winger. Kane's the inside midfielder. We rip through the young kids at training <laughs> on a Wednesday, and he shows them how it's done a bit better than I do. But yeah. um, 
Yes, no, it's a it's a it's a great thing. Great, love reminiscing on all things uh, AFL. That's for sure, mate. Really grateful for the chat. Go and enjoy your day, and um, yeah, mate. Today be the best day. What what's the term you use? The greatest day. Mine is uh, may the rest of your life be the best of your life. That's it. That's my dad joke one liner, which some people love and some people just want to get the cheese out. It is a bit cheesy, but it is a. Uh, it's a it's a message about a compelling future because just to leave the listeners with one one little stat, there was some research out of Yale many years ago that asked 600 people over the course of 20 years, as you age, you become less useful, agree or disagree, as you age, you realise your best years are behind you, agree or disagree, as you age, you realise um, it's all downhill from here. And the people that agreed with those statements died seven and a half years <coughs> earlier than the people that felt that their futures were compelling, mm. that um, their lives were going to get better and better, that their best years were in front of them. So it's a pretty epic uh, stat given that most of us are trying to eat better and move better and, you know, watch more series on Netflix where we've actually got to uh, enjoy whatever age we're at. We can't be in our 40s scared of turning 50 or in our 20s scared of turning 30. Mm. We've just got to enjoy our age for what it is right now um, and create a compelling future. Agree, mate. Agree. And, uh, yeah, just uh, approach it. Just start. That's right. Approach it with curiosity and just, uh, yeah, enjoy the the journey that you're on. And um, every one of us is unique. You know, we're all unique. And once we actually start to realise that, then we can start to, you know, hit our potential, I reckon, for sure. So, yeah, talking my language. Appreciate it, mate. I really, uh, really do. And I'm sure we're going to have more, uh, more chats down the track. Yeah, can't wait. You're doing a great job, Aaron. Thanks for doing what you do in society, man, and thanks for having me on the Outback Mind. Cheers, mate.